Welcome to Insider Marketing. I'm Mark Thomas, head of growth here at Powered by Search. And each week we'll be breaking down a SaaS company's marketing, giving ideas about how we would improve the strategy to get more trials, demos, and revenue using demand gen, SEO, and paid media. All right, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Insider Marketing. Today, I am joined by Pedro once again. Pedro, how's it going? Hey, Mark, I'm doing great. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing really well, thanks. Although I do have a cold. Also, I recently shaved my head for the first time ever, and uh, I'm getting a lot of funny looks from people on the street, so I'm kind of worried about how that's gone down. But other than that, I'm doing great. Yeah, that was definitely a surprise. (laughs) That's right. All right. Cool. Well, today we are looking at a company called Taxdome. And for anyone who's just tuning in and doesn't know who Taxdome is, uh, here's a little segment that I prepared earlier. Now, before we dive into the episode today, I want to give you some context around Taxdome. Taxdome is a tool for accountants and bookkeepers to manage their businesses. They were founded in 2017 in New York, New York. Like the majority of companies we're going to talk about on Insider Marketing, we don't have conversion or revenue data, so we have to make some inferences. Our bet is that they're doing around 4 to $6 million ARR. Today, we're going to share strategy ideas for demand gen and SEO with SEO strategist from the team here at Powered by Search, Pedro Villalobos. Let's dive in. All right, so that was a little bit of information about TaxDome. Pedro, I know that you've got some things to say about SEO. I've got some things to say about positioning and also some things to do with the messaging on their pricing page. But I feel like you should start. What have you got? Yeah, so basically I was looking at how they are performing on search and they do have some really, really cool pages. When you look at their whole structure, it looks like they are following our playbooks, which is really nice. But even though they are doing this, they are lacking some technical SEO structures. So the website is beautiful, the content is good, but they aren't performing as they should. This end up being that they don't have many bottom of funnel keywords that are really commercial or transactional, you know, they aren't driving the right traffic for them. Also, one interesting thing I noticed is that they do have translated websites for many languages. And since I'm Brazilian, I was looking at the Portuguese version and the Spanish version as well, because I'm half Chilean. (laughs) And I noticed that it's basically machine translated. The content is there, but from the technical side, the content is not properly offered to search bots. And that's something we can dive into a little bit later on. For sure. So let's go all the way back to what you said at the start there. You said the website is structured quite well and like they've been looking at our playbooks. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, of course. I mean, when you look at their product pages, they are describing the product really well. They are showing the pain points and then the solutions. They also have some really interesting comparison pages. And this type of content drives a lot of traffic and therefore a lot of right conversions for them. That was a really good surprise. It's usually not the case when you look at these websites, right? Yeah, for sure. So our whole way of thinking about how you should structure a SaaS website, we published in a blog post on our site. It's called the Authority Architecture Framework. And basically, 
rather than what most people do with their websites, which is just create a collection of pages and go about thinking, okay, what might someone know? Uh, what might someone want to know about this product? Our whole system is based on the concept that most customers have a similar set of questions. So those things are, what does this product do? How can I use it? Is this product specifically for me? How much does it cost? And how can I get more information about the general products, um, the pain points this product solves? Every website will fall into that. And TaxDome clearly has a similar idea because, as you said, they've really covered all the bases uh, with this, right? Yeah, definitely. They are really following a structure similar to our authority architecture. And from there, it's easier to organize the website. And from there, basically what they have to do is follow some technical fixes to really have the website indexing and generating the proper traffic. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about those technical fixes. What kinds of things are you seeing? Yeah, the first thing that caught my mind is that they basically use H1 for every header they have. And the web is supposed to be semantic. This means that you have one H1, meaning the header one, the title of the page, and then a header two, the H2 and H3, and therefore. Basically, sometimes people confuse the H1 with the big title, so they use it over and over and over. And that's just a design choice. It's not a technical choice. So it's important to have only one in each page. Right now, they have every title in H1, and this is definitely confusing Google crawlers. Yeah, for sure. Now, is it always the case that you only have one H1, or are there some cases where you don't? Every page is supposed to only have one H1, and if you want to go deeper into the content, you can have two or more H2s to further explain the content. But the H1 is the main one, it's the title. Yeah, and the effect of having a well-structured page is that Google is able, to, and also other search engines are available, but Google is able to uh, correctly crawl your content for topics that you're covering off and ultimately find the topics that you're talking about that they will eventually show in keyword searches, right? Yeah, exactly. We use it to say that the crawlers were blind. They basically saw only the text and the format we provide to this text. That's why we say uh, uh, it should be uh, properly semantic. So if you have a page that in their H1, you explain your main topic and from there you explain it uh, like a book chapters, whatever it is about, you increase your topical relevancy around that topic. That's right. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, the book chapters thing. And then you've got like subheadings within the chapter, maybe those are H3s and things like that. So it's really about both letting the search engine find you in the right way, but also it's helpful for users, right? Because usually with those headings, there comes a kind of a visual hierarchy as well that humans can look at and go, hey, these things are good, right? What else do we see with uh, with our website that, that you think is a technical improvement they can make? Yeah, as I said, the language, they do have a lot of languages in the website, but it's not handled properly. When you have an alternative language, you have a tag called HRF lang. On this tag, you can say that 
One language is the default one. It's usually the U.S. English. And you can have alternatives for Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese, Portugal Portuguese, Spanish, American Spanish, and whatnot. When you properly signalize this to the crawlers, they can show the right pages for visitors from outside the main market. Right now, when I search for them on Google, I'm getting the U.S. pages. And when I visit them, I get offered to change to the Brazilian one. It's possible for Google to show the right pages. And as soon as they do it, they will start ranking for keywords related to their business in other countries, if that's their objective, right? Yeah, it's, it, you know what? The content thing is so interesting, especially because they're dealing with tax. Now, every country has different tax laws and different terminology around it. I was just looking up then as you were speaking, whether CPA, which is one of the chartered public accountant, is the term that's used in other places as well. I thought that it was not in the UK, but it turns out it is, and it's on their UK website. And I think like these terms, they're always an option for, they're always a good way to kind of demonstrate relevancy to a market as well. And in fact, I've just checked and in German, they have updated the headline copy on their homepage to respond to the German version of of, uh, that as well. So that's good to see. Pedro, thinking more about the language stuff though, what's the kind of knock-on effect in terms of search for someone who doesn't implement this right? Yeah, basically what you're doing is you are showing Google the same page in other languages without saying that that page is a version of your other pages. You are basically uh, duplicating your content and you might end up competing against your own content. Think about it, uh, the Portuguese versions, we have the Brazilian and the Portugal one, and the Spanish versions where they have the US, Spain, and probably Mexico. Basically, what they are showing is that all the three pages are the same, but in different URLs. Google doesn't know which page to show, and you are, well, you are competing with yourself, and Google ends up not showing you at all. That's wild. You know, trying to help people, you might end up shooting yourself in the foot. So the correct solution then is not to do necessarily with the URLs, but to do with the page meta, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, the URL structure is actually pretty good, but the page meta is missing the, the proper arguments to show which page belongs where. And later on, after they do this, they can even create an alternative sitemap for each country. And this can be combined with their blog as well. Yeah, you know what? I actually worked on a business where part of our market was uh, Welsh-speaking. Now, there are, let's say not a huge number of Welsh speakers. Less than 30% of the population of Wales speaks Welsh at the moment. Now, that means that while it may be important for some people in the market, like for example, everybody in the market might who is a Welsh speaker or working for a public organization in Wales needs to be able to prove that they're buying tools and services that are available in the Welsh language. That's a, a legislative thing. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to translate your whole website either. And so you're talking there about the sitemap. And I used a pretty obscure example there, despite the fact that I do live in Welsh. Uh, The the reality is you're not going to end up translating every single blog post or every single pain point page. Now, particularly with those pain point pages, like let's say you're targeting 
a piece of pain point content to, I have literally no clue about German tax law, just heads up, but some kind of specific function of German tax law, which I imagine is probably pretty in-depth. You don't want to create the pages for the French market, right? You want to have separate pages. Now, it makes sense for you to have separate sitemaps at that point as well, because you only want people who are searching maybe for the German tax law solutions pages to actually find those versus the French, right? Yeah, that's exactly the case. And also, you don't need to create pages that are irrelevant. For example, again, I was looking into the Brazilian version because I learned a long time ago that your accountant is the best friend of your business. And I wanted to share the product with my own accountant because he's not tech savvy at all. And it was interesting to see that they do have a lot of integrations with services that are definitely relevant to the U.S. market. But I don't think any accountant in Brazil has ever heard of them. So there is no need to have these pages in Portuguese. That's definitely the case for other languages as well. Yeah, I think that must be a big one, especially because they're an all-in-one solution, right? So they are marketing themselves as an all-in-one. Now, if you're integrating with tools and don't represent a market's needs or requirements, you need to be more specific about that for each market. So maybe, I don't know, whatever whatever you use for submitting your uh, receipts to your accountant in, in Brazil is not the same thing that I use in the UK, maybe, or vice versa. Yeah, and by the way, I'm completely fine with having the translated websites as a strategy to generate traffic from said country, and from there they can start uh, improving their product to that market, right? That's usually the case. But if they don't have the proper structure for that website to show the crawlers that that website exists, they're just throwing their time and money out. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Do we want to talk here a little bit about positioning because we've just mentioned the all-in-one thing? Let me just dive in a little bit before we come back to some search stuff. I'm really interested, by the way, Pedro, in in how, put you on the spot here, uh, but how Taxdome does in comparison to Canopy, which is getcanopy.com. So just in terms of search, because they rank for 13.8 thousand keywords compared to five and a half thousand keywords for Taxdome. And I think that is probably partially reflected in their performance overall, because these companies, they have been around in terms of search, a pretty similar length of time. In fact, Canopy has been around, has been getting traffic for one year more, according to, uh, one year less, I should say, than Taxdome. And they seem to be performing pretty well. Let's come back to that, though. So all-in-one positioning. We have several clients in a similar market to Taxdome who we have moved away from all-in-one positioning recently. So there's a couple of reasons for this. The first reason that all-in-one positioning actually is not good for a company is because it introduces what we call switching risk. So anytime a business switches SaaS products, there's a cost in time and effort to learn the new solution and adapt it to their workflow. Now, this can be super difficult when your product replaces a single solution, but an all-in-one positioning implies that it can replace several or often many tools in a business's tech stack. 
Now, this compounds the switching risk for companies and often leads to resistance from internal stakeholders who are happy using the tools that they already know. And I imagine switching risk is pretty acute in an industry like accountancy, where there are many, let's say this nicely, legacy operators. <laughs> so people, people who are happy doing business the way they've always done it, right? The second thing is that all-in-one positioning is actually not problem-focused. The reality is that most B2B SaaS buyers are looking to purchase specific tools to solve specific problems. They generally aren't looking for a holistic piece of software that helps run their entire business, even when that might create some more general efficiencies for them by cutting down the cost of many pieces of software or something like that. There has to be a specific pain behind that. We can talk about that in a second. And then the third thing, is super vague in terms of differentiation. All-in-one positioning doesn't provide your prospects with any understanding of what makes your product unique or better than your competition. And so while I bet the cost savings probably plays pretty well with accountants, because let's face it, what accountant doesn't like saving, my general feeling is this probably actually causes some problems by making Taxdome feel less salty in terms of the marketplace. So what I mean by salty is they just don't stand out. Uh, there's no real clear reason on Taxdome's website that they should be chosen over another player in the market uh, place. So going into this, what we usually do when we're repositioning a client who comes in with all-in-one positioning is we look at, first of all, the unique challenges of specific customer segments within their marketplace. So companies who have that kind of all-in-one position, in my experience, are usually thinking about too broad a market segment. They're thinking about anyone in the market could use this tool. That's such an understandable but ultimately inefficient way to grow a business. It's much more useful to focus on a specific set of firmographic or demographic data and then cancel out large chunks of the market so that you can really focus your efforts. And, you know, frankly, most marketing teams are limited in terms of their capacity. They can't speak to everybody's needs all the time. The second thing in this process is to understand the inefficiencies and inelegant things that the customer who they ultimately, you know, they decide on, call that beachhead market, are currently doing to try to solve a specific problem or a set of problems. Now, some examples of that might be we want to grow the business, but the way that we're growing is we're hiring a bunch of other people to grow. Now, that's really inefficient. And maybe the better way to do it would be, this is a version of all-in-one, is to combine many processes into like a streamlined workflow. That is much more salty messaging already, by the way. Streamlined workflow versus all-in-one. Then the thing that you would do next is to drill in on how competitors in your space make promises about how to solve those problems. Those fall into a couple of buckets, but they're usually easy, fast, cheap, integrated, and those are kind of the standard ones. And then basically you go, okay, well, those guys say this, our problems that we're solving for customers and specific customers are these. How have we done this in a way that's unique to Taxdome? When you get the answer to that question, you've pretty much found your positioning because it's effectively a statement of how your customers see you in terms of their pain points and the other competitors in the market. So I believe that 
what usually happens in companies with all-in-one positioning is someone has gone off and someone probably in the marketing team who's probably very well-intentioned, but has maybe never positioned a company before. And they go off and say, well, look, which of our customers are using most of these features? Let's go and talk to those people. Now, if you choose the people who are using most of the features, you're always going to come back to an all-in-one tool because those people are already using most of the features. But that's not necessarily the best customer segment. Some other ways that you could do this instead would be to look at high NPS scores. So which segments of your, your customer base are getting high NPS scores? You could also look at which segments contribute the most to your, LT, uh, to your uh, revenue overall, to your ARR, which segments have the highest LTV, which segments are most attractive to you as well. That's one that goes unmentioned a lot of the time. Like, you know, you don't always want to work with the big guys. You might want to work with the small guys. Pedro, what are your thoughts? Yeah, in a past life as a product owner, one really good sign that uh, we had that uh, the all-in-one position wasn't so good was that the clients, the leads, in fact, uh, would come to us and ask for a discount. Okay, I don't need to use this part of the product. Can you give me a discount? This was showing us over and over and over that we needed like a more, the, the best clients wasn't the ones that were looking for everything. Right. Especially because it's really hard to be great in everything. I've literally never thought of that before, but now that I have, it makes a lot of sense. And I can see how that is also a contributing factor to the all-in-one thing. I just want to finish off my part here by talking about the pricing page. So I've got to say the pricing page here is incredibly confusing. Now, when we're looking at demand gen, we're also we're looking at the kind of the positioning and messaging, but ultimately what we want is people signing up to use the product. And so the pricing page is often a really key moment for us thinking about demand gen when we're thinking about consulting for a client. Now, how uh, TaxDome's pricing works is, well, it's actually simple, but the way it's communicated is very complicated, in my opinion. So how it works in reality is you pay an annual subscription for the first user on your account. So basically the admin of the account, effectively, although maybe I guess that changes later. That costs £480 a year. I was looking at the UK site, so I'm not 100%. They have an interesting issue with their pricing page as well. If you Google for TaxDome price, you end up with two different pages. Oh. The US one and the English international one. The US has two prices, $25 for a TaxDome lead mm -hmm. and $50 for the pro. And the international one is only the $50. So again, we see the, the confusion behind okay. not properly handling language, right? Yeah, that's really interesting. I hadn't noticed that. I'm just Googling it to see what I get. Huh, I get a page I've never been to before. So yeah, I see what you're saying. Oh, well, there's so in the UK, there is no option. There's no light and pro. It's just one price, which is very confusing. Honestly, it's kind of thrown me a little bit there because... I was going to say that on the UK version, you can add additional users to your account at either £480 annually, same price as the first user, or £60 per month for every user on a monthly basis. Now, in theory, that's fine because it's basically thinking about, okay, well, we're going to add more people. The difficulty is that it sounds punitive for firms that are adding more users. So that's one of the difficulties. So 
the language that they actually use is £60 monthly option is available after the first user. Now, the first user costs £48 a month. Uh, so it sounds like, okay, you want to add more, you've got to pay more, like at a higher price versus what you normally would expect, which is a lower price for the second, right? But I understand that their economics might be made on this basis. However, it is kind of cutting themselves off at the knees in terms of, that's a horrible metaphor, but in terms of the way that SaaS businesses grow. Now, SaaS grows because retention and expansion revenues contribute to the upper and the ARR overall, right? So expansion revenues are getting uh, contributing to the upper, so average revenue per account. Retention is contributing overall to the ARR. Now, if you have a single price for everything always, so this is what TaxDome is doing, £480 a year plus whatever, however many users you've got. There's no extra features that you can unlock. There's no additional volume, as far as I can see, that you can unlock. It's just how many users you've got. Right, so if you have that, you hit a ceiling once all of the users in a firm are onboarded. So let's say you you end up talking to firms who are two to five users, right? You only ever have a fixed amount of possible revenue. That is assuming as well, by the way, that some of these firms are not just going to share logins for some staff anyway, right? So when you do user-based login stuff, even when there's like, oh, well, you know, you won't be able to do that because everyone needs their own account. The reality is like they might give the senior people accounts or the people who use it all the time. And then there might be like a functional kind of like John Doe account that everybody in the business uses to do stuff. So TaxDome are going to grow much more slowly as a business and make it so much harder, unfortunately, for their marketing team, because the acceptable CAC cost of acquisition for a customer will stay low if they stick with this model. Now, it sounds like in the US, they're thinking about, do, or they're already doing what I think they should do in the UK, which is have tiered pricing. So do tiered pricing, not just on the number of users, but on the features that are being used. This is flexible because it allows you to add new revenue streams as you grow. And as you've got to hit those growth targets, it allows you to create expansion revenue. It allows you to retain customers in a way because you're able to add additional value for them. And plenty of all-in-one style tools have this pricing and they are wildly successful. Intercom is the obvious example. Intercom built an absolutely enormous business of starting you off with a relatively low sum and then completely pumping it up because they add features and you want to access their other features. And you never feel bad about it until suddenly someone's like, oh my gosh, we're spending a third of our revenue on Intercom. (laughs) Yeah, because they are offering and they are providing new services and they left space for their marketing team to sell more, right? Right now, if you are always positioning yourself as all-in-one and that everything will always be included, you can't upsell at all. That's it. That's it. You end up losing your customer. For sure. Pedro, we're about to finish up here. We're going to run out of time. There is so much that I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about the performance of Canopy versus TaxDome in search, but I'm not sure we're going to have time. But before we end up, is there anything you want to say? Yeah, I mean, when you think about the performance comparison, considering the issues, the the technical issues they have, I don't think it's even fair to compare exactly how they are doing. We are not on the same level of 
I mean, you can say that the search is favoring one or another when one of them has technical issues, right? From there, I believe it would be really helpful for them to take a look at proper handling the language, as I said before. Also, the structure of the pages, the H1s and all, because it is hurting them. And one thing that caught my attention is that the overall pages are slow. Again, that's a technical issue that they can't fix. And I believe that if they can uh, level the field from, with the competitors on the technical area, we can start comparing them and even comparing the, the keyword uh, rankings they have. You know, Right now, it's impossible to say that they wouldn't rank for a specific keyword because I can't evaluate the content so well from the, from the search perspective. That all feels very fair. Pedro, thanks so much for your time today. This has been really interesting. And I always think at the end of these things, we could have talked for hours, but it's good for listeners to leave people wanting more. So thanks for that. Well, that's it for today. But friend, it doesn't have to end here. Because if you want to do something about your SaaS marketing, you should go to our website. We have heaps of in-depth blog posts, podcasts, and other resources about how to grow your demos, free trials, and signups with Demand Gen SEO or PPC. Now, if you want us to help you with that, you can book a SaaS scale session by clicking on the work with us button in the nav bar. Or you can follow me on Twitter at IamMarkThomas, that's Mark with a C, or follow our founder, Dev Basu, that's D-E-V-B-A-S-U. I'll see you next time for another episode of Insider Marketing.